0: Okay, so let's, let's talk this morning a little bit about legacy. Let's talk, and I've talked to you about legacy over the years and in different ways and in different times. I think this is one of the most crucial uh, topics that we can talk about, that we can go to the Scripture and, and dig out of the Scripture the different truths that we need to recognize uh, for our lives and that we need to um, realize and that we need to uh that we need to instill and put into place in our lives and in the lives of our children. And so the title of this morning's message is Created for Greatness with a subtitle, Don't Squander Your Legacy. Don't squander your legacy. Do not let it get away from you. Do not waste it. And I'm afraid that oftentimes what we see is that Americans especially, I know this is true of Americans in general, that we get so wrapped up in individualism that we can't seem to grasp the concept that we were not created for an individualistic type lifestyle. You were not created to simply find ways to please yourself. You were not created for your own personal happiness. The world, and and this seems... Like it is relatively simple, uh, a relatively simple concept, uh, that it would be fairly easily recognizable that we shouldn't think that we were created to m- make sure that we have everything that we want personally and that everything around us is there for our own personal enjoyment our own personal fulfillment, and our own, our own personal happiness. Now, I could get off on a tangent in a bunch of different realms in this because you see this type of mentality, the me, me, me mentality, show up in every uh, area, every possible sector of life. You see it show up in business. You see it show up in uh, activities, extracurricular activities, such as hobbies, sports, things like that. You see it show up in more crucial areas like family. You see it show up in parenting. You see it show up in uh, the schools. You see it show up in 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 being a child in childhood. You see it show up in every place that you could possibly imagine. And the key, is, and I believe right now that this is the the prevailing ideology that we see being manifested or or coming to. Uh, The forefront in our political sphere, in our media, is this me, 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 self-entitled, emotionally-driven, subjective thought that everything in the world exists to make me happy. And I must have it my way, and everyone must agree with me but not only agree with me they must validate me okay and it obviously is completely and utterly destructive amen the the gospel on the other hand is completely contradictory to this self-entitlement me 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 emotionalism the gospel is directly opposed to this ideology, this thought process that says everything in the world exists to benefit me, to bless me, to make me happy. And it says I exist to serve God, to glorify God, and to be poured out and to serve those around me so that they may see God accurately and that they may pour themselves out to glorify Him. So one is, one ideology, the subjective emotionalism, is the thought that everything exists for me, while the gospel, in a Christian worldview, that ideology says that we all exist to please him. You see it? It is a, one is self-entitlement, one is self-sacrificing. We see this demonstrated Uh, most perfectly in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ who did not come to be served but to serve okay he who is greatest among you is he who is serving he must be a servant okay the first will be last and the last will be First. first okay so what I want to do is I want to touch on the way that this this Self-entitlement, this me, me, me ideology is infecting not only the culture around us, but it is infecting our own families, our own church, our own church community. And I see it. You say, that's not me. I see it. Why else would I have to come up here and beg a a group of 250 people, some odd people in here, and beg for two or three people who would sacrifice themselves to come and help us in Kidwell, or Summer Sizzle, or whatever it might be. With a church this size... It should be that we are turning people away who love and long and are passionate about serving God. And, and they want to come and they say, I want to minister to children. I have some gifts and I'm willing to serve once a month. And we ought to be saying, well, we're foot filled up right now. You, I, there's not a place for you. As soon as somebody gets tired and, and they have to give up, then we'll get you in there. No, it should be like that in every church, but it's not. Why? Why? Because we care about our own personal comfort too much. We either hear, we either hear, well, that's just not my gifting. I'm not comfortable with that. Well, I need to be in here. I need so I'm just pointing out one way that it shows up. There's a myriad of ways. So how do we overcome this? How do we overcome this? How do we overcome it for the church? How do we overcome it for our families? How do we overcome it for our culture, our community? How do we overcome it in our jobs? How do we overcome it in our own personal parenting? How do we overcome it then if we can start on these levels? How do we overcome it on a, uh, a statewide level or a countywide level or a nationwide level? What is the way in which we see our way out of this subjective ideology that is me, 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 me? How do we get past that and how do we start building something positive for the future? You want to hear the answer? You want to hear the answer? All right, well, let's go to the Word of God then. How about that? Before we do, I want to pray one more time. Lord Jesus, I pray, God, that you would hide me behind the cross. Lord God, I pray right now that you would convict my heart of these truths that are about to come out in the the Word of God. I pray, Lord, that you would shape and mold me to be a better man, to be more committed to these truths, to be more self-sacrificial, God. I'm often selfish. I'm often thinking of me when I need to be thinking of those around me and how I can be poured out to glorify you through serving them. I pray, God, that that we would all be uh, convicted by your word and that it wouldn't be a conviction that lasts a a moment or a week or a month, but it would be a lifelong conviction conviction that would lead to a lifelong commitment and passion for finding how we are to serve you minute by minute and day by day and how we are to serve those around us and how we are to love them and and use whatever gifts talents and abilities that we have to lift them up and to encourage them and to bring them to a place where they better understand you and they better understand how they can serve you we pray it all in the Lord Jesus Christ's name amen Amen. Okay, one of the ushers said, I don't know what you said, but nobody came to give much. So I don't know what happened. This might be a, a, a morning where uh, we make some seats in the auditorium. I don't know. I hope not. I hope not. All right, I want to get into the Word of God. The first section of Scripture I want to talk to you about is found in Psalm 34, starting in verse 11. Psalm 34, verse 11. While you're turning there, I had a, um, uh, another Man of God, uh, put something on Facebook the other day, and it, it just dawned on me now that uh, how needed it is and how nerve-wracking it is. He said, any man can stand up and preach before a congregation about the sins and the shortcomings of those out there. But it takes the Lord to bring a man to the place where he has the strength, and the courage to preach to the people the sins that they struggle with. And it takes the Lord to strengthen the people to hear where they struggle and to not get angry and leave, but to listen to the, the Word of God and to the Holy Spirit and to say, Preacher, that's me. So I can get up here and I can talk about the politicians, and y'all are like, "Ooh," But I get in here and I talk, talk, start talking about Kidwell, and people want to leave, Right? So let's dig into our own consciences and our own life. And it's hitting me too. I'm uncomfortable right now too, okay? So you're not alone, all right? So let's get into the Word. Psalm 34, starting in verse 11. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil And your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their city. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil and cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Some principles that I want to draw out of this text this morning, and we're going to be all over the Bible is the idea that our goal in life is not to seek pleasure through the things here on this earth and through the things that bring pleasure and fulfillment to the flesh only, but that we are to seek fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to seek fulfillment in God. And the result of that and the natural consequence and the reality surrounding that. Is that oftentimes when we put our faith in God and we put our hope and our trust in God and we long to be fulfilled in God, then our flesh will not be very pleased. That it will be a sacrifice for us, that it will be something that will cost us to it will cost us those things that other people enjoy. Okay? Many times it's called free time free time is not really free time though as the world defines it i have a issue with this myself now we do need rest bottom line is we need rest god commanded it but oftentimes we disguise laziness as rest and we're just too lazy to do what god is calling us to do and that's not necessarily just in the church although obviously it is in the church but it's in the things that need to be done around the house. It's in physical things that need to be done around the house. It's in spiritual things that need to be done around the house. It's in things that need to be done on your job, whether you're an employee or an employer. That we're not putting forth the effort, and we're not dedicated to the Lord. We're not dedicated to doing things with excellency. But here it says in verse 11, Come, and this is where I want to highlight. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Here's my premise today, is that if we can instill in our children and if our teachers and those in authority over us can instill in us the fear of the Lord, then the path that we walk will be laid out before us in such a way that it will be, it, it, it will be conducive or it will lead to a life of peace. A life of joy and a life of fulfillment, even though those things of the world may be, de- may be neglected by us. In other words, it's not boring to live a life of righteousness in pursuit of the Lord, in pursuit of, of ministry, in pursuit of uh, evangelizing the lost or training your children. See, oftentimes those things can seem rather boring to us, can't they? You know, I don't want to spend my time doing that. Do I have to go to church? Do I have to speak of Christ to my neighbor? Do I have to get into the Word of God today? But there is a reality surrounding God that when you really meet God face to face, when you really are transformed by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God becomes living in your soul and it becomes written on your heart, that it will lead you to a place that you're asking the question, God, How can I serve you today? What can I do? So I want to talk about some practical things. I want to talk about one of the most practical ways that we can do that, and that is parenting and pouring into our children. You see, I believe that one of the greatest problems in our country today and in our world today is that we've done, and this is, I'm talking about the church now. Obviously, the world raises their, they rear their kids, they train their kids in the way that they see fit, right? What place do we have judging outsiders? They're not submitted to the same Standards that we are they're not submitted to the Word of God and to the Lord Jesus Christ But for those of you who claim to be Christians I believe that we are submitted to the Word of God obviously to the Lord Jesus Christ and we have a Responsibility to train and to teach and to lead our children in certain ways and what I'm going to suggest today that the large a large portion of the problem in America and in the world today is that we as parents have not done our job as, as parents, training up our children, disciplining our children, teaching them right from wrong, and demanding honor and respect, and basically just raising good, uh, Bible-loving, Jesus-loving human beings who are redeemed by the power of the Holy Spirit through the blood of the Lamb. Does that make sense to you? And what we're seeing is these, these people, they, they come up, they're, they're growing up, and they're becoming... Uh, they're becoming workers or laborers, they're becoming officials, they're becoming all of these things, and this ideology of a me, 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 I, 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 emotionalism, which we have allowed as Christians in our home, is becoming a destructive property in our country and in the world as a whole. Now, I want to touch base on a few different things here. Number one, the gospel is the most A crucial element of training up your children. A healthy and consistent exposure and exposition of God's word to your child is essential to all of life. Now, you may be thinking, oh Brennan, that just sounds too big for me. But it's really not. You see, it's commonly said that every you know, people say, I don't like theology, I don't like theology, I don't like theology, I'm not a theologian, I don't know the purpose of theology. Listen, everybody is a theologian. Everybody is a theologian. It's just how you think about God, it's just what you believe about God. The only question is are you a good theologian or are you a bad theologian? That's the only question. And you are going to teach and train your children what to believe about God. You are going to lead them one way or the other. You're going to lead them by your inaction or by your action. You're going to lead them by your lack of of verbal teaching and and admonishing, or you're going to lead them by your active teaching and leading with your words and with your your instruction. The question is not, are you going to teach and train? You are going to teach and train. The question is, how are you going to teach and train, and and will you be an effective teacher and trainer of your children? Okay, So the gospel is the first thing place it's the first step and so we all know Deuteronomy chapter 6 I've talked about it several times here it it talks about when you lay down when you get up when you walk in the way and all these things that you are to continually be speaking of the of the word of the Lord with your children and with those around you now I don't need to spend a, a ton of time here I've talked to you a thousand times if I talk to you one that you need to be in the word of God If you're not in the Word of God, if you're not reading, if you're not studying, and I don't care what level you're on, I don't care what your reading ability is, there is so many helps. There is not one of us without excuse in here, or not one of us with excuse, because there are so many helps, whether it be... Uh, sermons on youtube or sermon audio it could be teachings that, that, you can get the bible read to you through you version or youtube and it can. just in different voices you can speed it up you can slow it down you can get an illustrative bible you can get a chronological bible that goes through it in in order of, of chronology you can there's so many there's no excuse in the world that you could convince me that you just cannot study and learn more about the bible And some people may grow faster than other people. Okay, I get that. But the question is, are you growing at all? the, The better question is, are you concerned at all about growing? Okay, if you're not even trying, then don't tell me that you just can't. Can't never could. Amen? Can't never could. So you need to teach and train and lead your children. But the first place that we start is the gospel, that Jesus Christ is God, that Jesus Christ is the God-man who came to do what we could not do, who died in our place to uh, die as a sacrifice, a propitiation. This, he, he bought us back with his death, and he trades places with us upon faith. That he lived the life that we couldn't live, died the death that we should have died, so that we can live the life that he should have lived, and we don't have to die the death that he died. And through Jesus Christ, we can be made whole, and that we can have all the tools and all the things that we need to become men and women of God. Now, this is your job as a parent, is to train your children up to bring them to the foot of the cross, to to lead them in the gospel. And I wanna I wanna I wanna read something to you here by George Barna. He, he the barna group does tons and tons and tons of research and i want to read you uh a quote here By it's a it's a little longer but i want to show you how crucial it is that you take the time to intentionally pursue after training and teaching your children the gospel at a young age I'm talking about when they're infants, you should be singing to them lullabies about Jesus. You should be praying over them. You should be speaking the word of God over them, even when they're infants. Listen to what Barna says. Three years of research regarding ministry to children has revealed many surprising outcomes according to a new book by researcher George Barna. In discussing that volume entitled Transforming Your Children into Spiritual Champions, Barna indicated that the wealth of research not only changed his personal perspective on the importance of ministering to young children, but also clarified why churches struggle to have significance in our culture. Now, just a side note there, Barna is recognizing, and surely you can recognize, our churches are failing to have significance in our culture. Why? It's because we are failing as individuals to be parents who train up our children. You see, we can go out and we can evangelize one-on-one and we can speak and we can teach. But we fail to realize, and we can maybe make converts that way. The Lord through us can make converts that way and bring someone to into christianity but the greatest influence and the greatest impact that we can have on the world is to teach and train our children and to bring them to faith in the lord jesus christ to make them disciples of the lord jesus christ and to instill in them a love for god a love for the word of god so that when they go out they are instilling that same love for god into their children and into the people around them Our church is failing to have a significant impact in our culture because we are not doing what God has called us to do many times. He goes on. Adults essentially carry out the beliefs they embraced when they were young. Adults essentially carry out the beliefs they embraced when they were young. He explained the reason why Christians are so similar in their... Listen to this. The reason why Christians are so similar in their attitudes, values, and lifestyles to non-Christians is that they were not sufficiently challenged to think and behave differently, radically differently, based on core spiritual perspectives when they were children. Simply getting people to go to church regularly is not the key to becoming a mature Christian. Spiritual transformation requires a more extensive investment in one's ability to interpret all life situations in spiritual terms. To put that into layman's terms is that you are challenged by God and commanded by God and commissioned by God to give your child a Jesus Bible Christian lens through which to understand the entire realm of reality it's basically called the gospel foundation but oftentimes we just go through life and we get so consumed with the day-to-day activities Getting them up, getting them dressed, going to school, going to preschool, coming home, playing some games, letting them play video games, let, letting, them, letting them play in the yard. We come back in, we eat some supper, we go to bed, we get up, we do it again. And how often do we go day after day after day after day after day? And as parents, we never speak of the blessing of of Jesus Christ and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ training them equipping them to combat the evil ideal, ideas of this world that is bombarding them every minute of every day now my kids go to public school but there's something to be said about homeschooling because at least you get the opportunity to minister to those children in the home on a continual basis Now, I've often been convicted that maybe I don't need to send my kids to public school. And I'll tell you the truth. If I wasn't convinced that Landrum is a really good school, and I didn't know most of the teachers there, and I know that there are Christians, and I have Christian conversations with them, and I know that it is a good place to be, unlike most public schools in our country, my kids wouldn't go to public school. We are blessed to live in a place Where we have administrators and we have principals and we have teachers who love the Lord. And I feel safe doing that. But it is a missionary field to be sure. And I'll say this. You better be careful sending your child to any public school, Landrum included if you are not doing the work behind the scenes to give them a foundation and to give them armor and to prepare them for what they're going to meet in any situation, in any realm that, that unbelievers are going to be in, that the wicked ideas of the world, and they are in Landrum, they're in Campobella, they're anywhere you go. You better be preparing them. You better be training them. You better be teaching them how to reason through a biblical worldview. You better be training them and, and teaching them in the scriptures and equipping them to be able to do battle on the battlefield because I promise you it's a battlefield out there. So we move from the gospel being the justification and the foundation to bring them into the fold, into the family, to being the equipping agent, the equipping... Uh, uh the source of equipping that we would that we would equip our children to go out into the world and not only be able to defend themselves but to be able to wage war on the world and so we talk to our children we send them out we talk to them we equip them to be able to go into the world and to combat ideas uh, and to be able to evangelize those around them so that they might have a significant impact on the people around them so the next point is the gospel shapes a child. The gospel saves a child. The gospel shapes a child. Now let's, let's go on in this, uh, this study right here by Barney. He says a couple more things I want you to, to hear. He goes on down the page. He says, in fact, a majority of Americans make a lasting determination about the personal significance of Christ's death and resurrection by age 12. Let me read that again. In fact... A majority of Americans make a lasting determination, a determination about the personal significance of Christ's death and resurrection by age 12. A little bit further down, he says, in essence, the the researcher noted, what you believe by the time you're 13 is what you will die believing. Research spanning across thousands and thousands of christians thousands and thousands of believers and the research indicates that what you believe by the age you are 13 is what you will die believing very rarely is there significant change made and i would say that the only change comes when the lord jesus christ opens up blind eyes of those who have not been trained in the gospel So, what do we do? What do we do? Well, I want to pull. I want to. I want to look into a couple of scriptures right here, and I want to move around the Bible a little bit. And so, number two, the gospel shapes the child. What type of person your child will be is heavily influenced by what they learn while they are young, what, what while they are with you. So, the the fact. Okay. So there's this whole, and I'm not going to get into this, but I will just acknowledge it. And my wife, she's, she's a psychology teacher, and she's smarter than I am, so I'm going to be careful right here, is that there's this huge debate between nature and nurture, okay? Now, I don't know where, what you believe about nature and nurture. I believe that, I think, Heather, we've talked about this a few times, that both nature and nurture are a fairly significant part of who a person is, but people give different weight to one or the other some people say well it's more just nature you're just going to be who you are because of your genetics and things like that or nurture the influences of the outside on you is that right pretty close kind of she's like whatever that, that normally means I'm wrong and she don't want to say it out loud but what I want to talk about is the nurture side of it so the impact that uh, those around you would have on you okay so how do you nurture how do you how do you influence your children how what what are you doing practically speaking to do everything that you can to bring your child to that place where they have that sturdy foundation right what are you doing to ensure that you do everything that you can to bring them to a place where they're strong they're they're they can handle what the world throws at them, that they're not uh, centered around themselves, that they're not um, uh, all about me, they don't think they're the center of the universe, what are you doing to combat those ideas, and to take them and lead them to a place, that they could be uh, those that pour themselves out, that, that give back, that serve, right, well let's look at a couple of scriptures here, one is, is uh, really obvious, we we talked about this scripture a number of times. Uh, it's one of the most famous scriptures having to do with this. Uh, Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way that he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Seems to suggest that what the author wrote in Proverbs 22, 6, the research that Barna did, seems to say, yeah, that's, that's right. Generally speaking, that whatever somebody believes by the time they're 13, that's what they're going to die believing. So God's word is right. God's uh, Proverbs, the wisdom literature, it's right. Whatever they, generally, whatever they believe, when they're 13, they're going to die believing it. Now, we know that it's not a guarantee. This is wisdom literature, and there are exceptions to this. But generally speaking, if you do what God is calling you to do, you train up your child, then they'll move that way. Well, Let's look at another verse here. 2 Timothy 3.16, this is another verse that is very commonly referred to and and probably well known in here. Uh, This speaks of the Word of God and how trustworthy the Word of God is and how you can uh, make sure that you have the right tools to uh, ensure that your children have everything that they need to be equipped. 2 Timothy 3.16 says all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof for correction and for training in righteousness right that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work so Proverbs 22.6 says train up a child in the way that they should go well what is the source that we use what is the tools that we use to train them the word of God right it's the Word of God. And we also lead by example by living out the Word of God. Okay, so the Bible is, is breathed out by God. It's inspired in every word. And the Bible is not just some inspirational book, but it's a very profitable, it's a very practical book. Uh, it, a library, actually. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for what? Teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. Why? Why is it given? That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So how do we equip our sons to be men of God? How do we equip our daughters to be women of God? M- strong men of God, right? Charlie, that's what I want to be, right? I want to be a strong man of God. Charlie's strong. He's small, but he's strong. We worked out the other day. I couldn't believe how strong he was, right? And he, he is wanting to raise his daughter to be a strong woman of God, right? What is she doing now, Charlie? jiu-jitsu Hata! oh that's karate isn't it right so he's, he says that he's training her hopefully you're training her in the ways of god in righteousness with the scripture and also how to do a throat throw right so she will be equipped for every good work okay so we train our children but what does that necessarily mean for us is that we cannot teach that which we do not know we have to know the Word of God. And you don't have to be an amazingly talented and, and, and uh, educated theologian. Just get in the Word. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God will do the work. Just open up the Scripture. Just read it with your children. Read it with your spouse. Read it with your family. We all can do a better job at that, right? I know I can. We can all do a better job at that. So intentionally train your children. Intentionally pour into them the Word of God. Secondly, I think this is huge, that we need to say, well, I guess this would be point B, exercise discipline. Goodness gracious, this world lacks discipline. And i tell you, I've been around some of y'all's kids. <laughs> Why do you think we got problems getting kid well workers, right? Can somebody discipline somebody at home, right? Or sign a waiver, and I'm going to volunteer and kill well. I'm going to tear somebody up, right? <laughs> Listen to me. You could make one change in our culture. You could make one change in our culture and, and start shifting the whole tide. You know what the one, Sean, you know what the one thing they can bring back? And it would st- yes, You know what it is, y'all? I was, now they did, this this vanished right about the time I came into public school. But I've been told about it. Keith, you probably know about this. Now, I was told that Mr. Summers, and Miss Summers too, had a, now now tell me if I'm wrong, that he had a paddle with holes hung up on the wall. The holes did not, it, it, the holes were made to cut back on wind resistance. Mark felt the paddle. You know Marcus felt the paddle. Listen to me. Listen to me. I want to share, you know, this, you know, it's kind of, kind of a funny point. Because for some reason we like to talk about, you know, beating people. I don't know. But let me read you some scripture here because I believe the scripture is very, very, very clear. Now, <clears throat> if, you've, if you have uh, paid any attention whatsoever, disciplining children is a point that the far left and the ultra-subjectivist, uh, the, the, the relativist, they, they want to completely do away with discipline. Why? Well, think about it. If the, if the pervasive ideology of the, the age is me, 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 I, 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 what pleases me, what makes me happy, well, nobody's happy about being stung upside the bottom with a, pat, with a paddle, right? Nobody likes to get switched, right? That's what I got. My grandma sent me to get the hickory switch. Who knows about a hickory switch, Right? Hey, you know about a hickory switch, you know the song it sings when it's coming to bring the pain, right? Yeah. You want to get, you, listen, when you go pick a switch, don't you be foolish and pick a small one. Because the small, if it's too small, she's going to send you back to get a bigger one. You, if you're smart, you get a big one. Because a big one actually don't hurt as bad as the small ones. Not on bare skin anyway. Because the, the one just small enough, be like, shh, shh. You know, grandma leaves stripes across the back of the legs, right? Well, listen to a couple of scripture here that I think if we got back to the... And and listen, some of y'all need to spank y'all's kids. Now, I'm all for different forms of discipline. I used to think that spanking was the best form. And I still hold loosely to that, okay? But since I've had my daughter... I've, I've changed my idea, and it's not what you think. It's not what you think. You can ask my wife. I'll discipline my daughter. What I'm saying is, is that she doesn't respond as well to physical discipline. I've popped her leg before, and it just ticks her off, right? <laughs> I read this study one time, and it said that boys are different. And I'm on a rabbit trail here, but let me run it right quick. I read this study one time, and it said the biological difference between boys and girls oftentimes lend itself to girls being disciplined and receiving discipline in a more effective way by being isolated th- by, than being spanked or by things taken from them. I said, "Hmm, OK, let's try that out. So you know what's worse for LRA? What will make her John, if you tell her, I'm going to sit you in your room and I'm going to close the door, and you'll be in there by yourself for three minutes." We usually do a minute per year of age is what we've always done. So like if you know, you're know you five years old and your time out is five minutes, right? So she's four, so she might have four minutes. But you can pop her leg or something and that's decently effective, but she hates to be alone. And so you say, I'm going to set you in timeout, and you're going to sit by yourself for four minutes and she'll, and we'll have to do this enough, but she'll straighten up, right? So I say all that to say that Physical discipline might work best sometimes. It may be a reward system or a, a taking away something that's significant. It may be time out. But discipline, okay? Discipline, all right? Now, let's read the scripture here. Proverbs uh, 22, 15 says this. Proverbs twenty two fifteen says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Now, this is the Word of God, people. Okay? This is the Word of God. Some of you are like, well, I don't really want to spank them because I love them. Well, I'm going to read you Hebrews in just a second. It says if you don't spank them, it's, it's evidence that you don't really love them. Okay? <laughs> but, but I'm talking right now of the practical the practical benefit to disciplining your child. And the Bible uses the rod as discipline, okay? So a a spoon or something like that, a, a physical spanking. What does it say again? It says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Now, I want you to think about this. The Word of God says that folly, foolishness, you know, kind of, you know, foolishness, is bound up. It's bound up in the heart of a child. It means that it's contained in the heart of a child. I believe we all come forth in sin and iniquity, right? We're all born in sin. I never taught my kids how to lie, at least not intentionally, right? But they became master manipulators trying to pit me and my wife against each other. And we have to make sure. Like I have to, you know, especially with a young one, Ella Ray to come to ask me for something. And I've learned by now I cannot trust her, right? <laughs> right? And I'd be like, I don't know. Go ask your mom. And she'd be like, I did. And I'd be like, what mama say? I don't know. You know? So I've got to go ask my wife. Did she ask you about this? Yeah. I told her plainly no. And and Eloray's like, but, uh, you know, she she knew she was told no. But she wants to manipulate. She wants to go around. She wants to skirt the system. Why? Because folly's bound up in her heart. Now, she's a good kid. I love her. I would lay down my life for my daughter. Literally. You could take the breath from my lungs. I'd give it for her. But she's a manipulative liar, right? (laughs) Uh, Right? She is. She is. Now, what's my job? And what's your job? yes as a matter of speaking yes it is to drive the foolishness out of her heart now you know in our, why does that okay so dakota just said beat it out of her right but we don't want to say that right but why because our culture is and listen i think that we should oftentimes ask, our, ask ourselves this question are we buying into the lies that the culture is trying to sell us yes, yes we are even as church people Because it makes us uncomfortable to talk about physically spanking our children and putting hands on our kids. But listen, the Bible says, as a matter of fact, I'll I'll read you this one. How about this? You think that one was good? Listen to this. Uh, Proverbs, uh, let's see, Oh, Proverbs 23, 13 through 14. You think that one was something? Listen to this. Proverbs 23, 13. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod... He will not die. <laughs> if you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. It says if you hit him with a stick, it's not going to kill him. It's going to save him. Now listen, listen. Have we, at least, have we at least started to creep into the idea that it's mean to strike our children... In disciplinary ways. Now, I agree with you. If I see you beating your child because you're angry, I will beat you. <laughs> if you see me beating my child out of anger, you better jump on me and beat me, right? I, we protect the innocent. I'm not talking about abusing a child, okay? Those people need to be locked up, they need to pay for that. I'm talking about physically, physically disciplining a child because you love them and you want to teach them and train them. That kind of stuff doesn't fly. That that kind of stuff, it shortens your life. And it makes you a, 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 it makes you less, a less profitable member of society, a less profitable member of the church. That it, that it leads to destruction. And we discipline because we love, right? We don't discipline because we're angry. And if you're angry, you need to chill Until you can become reasonable again and then exercise your discipline. And you need to explain why you're exercising your discipline. And with that in mind, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And and sorry if I'm moving a little quickly, but I want to get to where I want to go. And I'm almost out of time. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5. Listen to this. And... Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? It says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. That God disciplines those whom he loves. He does not, now listen to this, God does not discipline those who he does not love. God does not discipline unbelievers. Many of you have never heard that before. God doesn't discipline unbelievers. God pours out wrath on unbelievers. He punishes unbelievers. He is, he is against unbelievers. They are his enemies. But he loves his children. He disciplines his sons so that he can bring about correction and reproof and rebuke and training in righteousness. God disciplines you because he loves you. What does it mean when God doesn't discipline you? He doesn't love you, not like his children now we can go the whole common grace, God's love for creation. We can talk about that if you want to. But God has a special love for His elect, for His children, for those who are born again. And for those, He takes the time and the effort and the energy to discipline them, to watch them, to consider them, to to correct them because he wants to keep them on the right path. You discipline those whom you love. Well, what about those whom you don't? Listen, it goes on. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. You know what this means. That if you refuse to discipline your child, it is like you are not even their parent. True parents discipline their children because that's what parents do. That's what parents do. Now I want to finish the Hebrew text because it leads me to my next point. It says, this is verse 9. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Let me lead into into my next point with that. the, The gospel builds in honor. The gospel builds in honor to a young person that that honor and respect And gratitude will grow as they mature into their Christianity and into their teaching. In other words, let me say it this way. We were talking about this. It came up in our elders meeting. I said, I'm talking about that today. Listen to me, people of God. You demand that your children address their elders as yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Yes, sir. No, sir. You think, well, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? It's huge. We are demanded to respect our elders. We are commanded to honor our father and our mothers. And so many, and I watch it. I watch it here at the church, so you cannot convince me that this message isn't needed today. I watch it at the church. I watch you let your kids run over you, and I weep for those children, not just for you. You let your children speak to you in in unspeakable manners and despicable ways. Some of you men, I've watched it. You let your children disrespect your wife, and I cannot understand it. You let your children disrespect your husband, and I cannot understand it. Some of you gossip with your children behind the other one's back. You are to demand the respect of your children. And in line with that, let me say, that'll be a lot easier if you're respectable. That will be a lot easier if you're a respectable man and a respectable woman. Now, do we have faults and failures? Absolutely we do. Oftentimes, I have to go and apologize to my children. I apologize to my wife at least once a day whether I need to or not right you see we demand respect from our children to every single adult I tell you right now if you ever talk to my children if you're an adult and you talk to my children and they don't address you as yes ma'am yes sir if I had I was in now I won't I'm not I'm not going to say who what when where but I was in a situation not long ago when an adult said something, and a, and a young person didn't hear them, and the young person, now this ain't my young person, isn't my young person, said, do what? I could not help myself because I love this young person. I said, what'd you say? You say, Sir? If my children are addressed by you and they don't hear you, they better say, sir. They can say, what did you say after that? Sir, what did you say? But there better be a, ma'am, sir, what? Not a, what did you say? You know, you don't speak to them as if speaking children. And Now, there's some young people in here. You think that we're trying to be authoritative here. Demanding that you obey us. Right? But what we're trying to do is instill in you an understanding of an authoritative uh, appreciation that will benefit you for the rest of your entire life. It will benefit you in every realm of your life. If If you can have a healthy respect for the authorities that are over you, whether it be teachers, bosses, even if they're jerks, Even if they're not believers, that we still demonstrate respect, we still give honor, that we still demonstrate appreciation. Now, this text here, it says that even our earthly fathers disciplined us and we respected them. How do you get respect from your children? Well, here, one of the ways is disciplining them, right? Discipline them in love. I would suggest another way would would be to live out the gospel in consistent ways before them. Children might be manipulative liars from time to time. But you know what that does? You know what it does? Since they have folly bound up in their heart, it makes them very keen on spotting manipulative liars. They can smell a fake a mile away. As a matter of fact, I've watched it. I've coached Little League Baseball, Little League Football for years now. And I can, I can tell you now that a child that is undisciplined, not, not always, but a child that is undisciplined and is wayward because his parents let him do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, and he never gets disciplined, When he comes around me, he either straightens his tail up or he doesn't make it. And that's just the truth. Now, I've had many kids quit the team, not a bunch, but some, because I don't put up with that junk. Now, I love on them, but I don't put up with that. But what does it cause? I've developed developed some great relationships with some kids that don't have much discipline, and they demonstrate toward me at least respect because i try my best to demand respect my question is as a parent do you demand respect and are you respectable and if you will demand respect from your child what they do when they get outside your home you don't have much control over but what they do in your home you can be such an influence just by demanding that they live in a respectable way that they speaking it's harder to get them to respect their brothers and sisters But you can still work on that, right? Well, let's move on. I'm running out of time. I'm out of time. Here's another point. Demand maturity. Demand maturity. You say demand maturity, you can just lead to maturity, right? Yes, but when you're leading to maturity, at some point you have to demand maturity. And I think that you get maturity after you demand demanded for maturity long enough. I'll never forget this. I'll never forget it as long as I live. I think it was it was our first child, Titus. And one day, uh, my mother-in-law was at our house. Yeah, Heather says I have to pay him every time I use him as an illustration. Well worth the two dollars, I guess. I'm a cheapskate, Gary. One day. My mother-in-law Deb's over at the house and i think titus is about three years old now that could be completely off the wall my, my time scale is terrible but he was young and she's over at the house and she's like for years she doesn't do it anymore well every now and then she'll cut her eyes but i'm a disciplinarian right so my i try my best my kids they get out of line they got to deal with me like immediately right and, sh- and sometimes she don't like that. That was a different approach than she took with her girls, and they turned out okay, I guess. <laughs> she disciplined in different ways, whatever. But I'm a disciplinarian. I believe in physical discipline, you know, not all the time, but uh, I do believe in physical discipline. So one day we were over at the house, and she's over there, and she's, you know, she's all like, oh, but they're so cute, you know. And Titus is doing something, and he's doing something. He's, like, he's crying and he and and it wasn't a real like his leg wasn't broke right so like you got to have a reason to cry around me like i put meat to the whole you know i'm gonna give you a reason to cry i actually do give them a reason to cry if they don't stop right we gotta we work that out and now i I, I, this is a side note okay because it's kind of funny i think i told this before i'm gonna tell you again ezekiel (laughs) i gotta give some more money now i guess but Ezekiel's the type, his personality is like strong, right? Strong with, well, I've told you, he's like the Hulk. He's even got the vein that'll pop out. And so one day, he starts crying. He's a very passionate, emotional child too. And I'm like, look, if you're going to cry, you got to have a reason to cry because there was nothing wrong with him. And I'm like, if you want to keep crying, then you got to have a pop because you can't just cry for no reason, But if you want to cry, then I'll give you pop, and then you can cry. This joker, he says, just like that. And so, what do I do? What do I do? This is like the first time I learned this trick, right? So I'm like, right? He's like, and he starts crying even harder. I'm like, all right, you got five minutes. And I walk away, and he cries for five minutes. And then he's done, and I'm like, I don't know if that was a success or a failure. I'm not sure what that was, but that's a true story. That's a true story. But anyway, demanding maturity. Let me get back here. So, Dev's over at the house, and Titus is crying and acting up, and I knew he didn't have no reason to cry. So Dev's standing there, and I look at Titus, and I say, "Boy, stop that crying immediately." And Titus, I'm not joking, he goes, oh. I say that, he goes, oh. <laughs> just like that, like a switch, right? Because I'd already established in him the whole, you got to have a reason to cry thing, right? And he didn't, He never has like discipline like that, right? He's like one of my easiest. And Deb turns and she looks at me and she goes, I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, you should give it a try. You know? <laughs> they are manipulative. So demand maturity. Now, that's not to say that it happens like that every time, you know. But demand maturity. Y- your child, and I'm past time, but we're going to run with just a second longer. Your child, you, you, you don't give them enough credit. You don't give them enough credit. They've got so much in them, so much maturity, so much knowledge, so much p- uh, uh, potential. To be soul winners, i tell you, Kenzie's very impressive to me. You know, he can be a kid, and he can be goofy. I worked at the concession stand with him uh, Friday night at the game, and so he can be a little goofy too, you know. <laughs> he's a kid, right? But I'm very impressed with him because, man, he loves the Lord. He he's, he's messages me sometimes, talking to me about Scripture. And so I'll give you, hey, hats off, brother. You, you know, you're, you're coming a long way. And he's dealt with a lot in his life, and I think that that's helped him to become the young man that he is. He's dealt with some struggle in his life. I'm going to tell you, some of y'all spoiling your kids, you don't never let them taste struggle. You don't never let them taste pain. You don't never let them taste anything. And you're always catching them before they fall, catching them before they fall, catching them before they fall. Catching them. You ain't doing them no favors. You're doing them no favors. You need to let that sucker hit the ground. Pow! <laughs> you know what happens? He are like, man, I don't want to do that no more. And they get up. I've, I can't tell you how many times I've watched, Now, you know, I ain't trying to watch them run out in the road. But i watch my kids about to do something stupid. One, it's entertaining. Two, I'm like, this is going to be good, right? So they're doing something that they shouldn't be doing. I'm just watching going, he's about to learn. <laughs> he's about to learn. You know, get me going too fast on a bicycle. I'm like, I hope it ain't too painful of a lesson. You know, bam, you okay? You know, you know? he learned a lesson. Well, some of you need to demand maturity. Now, I, I do want to say this, is that you don't, Need you you still need to let them be a child. I've had to guard myself here, and my wife has to guard herself here too. Because while while I demand behavioral stuff, she demands behavioral stuff, I demand excellence in sports, she does too. She demands academic excellence to a level that I ain't ever heard of before, right? (laughs) Like, I feel so sorry for Titus sometimes, right? But uh, but Titus, he's 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 you know, good boy, Titus. She's making him into a man, a dadgum smart man, right? He's doing good. He's doing good. But I do believe that Heather and I have had this conversation that sometimes we got to figure out when we just kind of back off and just say, okay, be a child today. You know, be, a, be it's okay to, to be goofy, whatever you know. I can demand too high of an excellence, especially when it comes to Ezekiel, because he can be so crazy. And I just, I have a vision for him. Man, I could just talk to you all day about this because I'll... Uh, you know, but I, I know time's limited. I just want to say this, too. I'll, I'll do that about five more times, and I'll be done. <laughs> Many of you don't have any vision for your kids. I was listening to this guy the other day. Now, it's not a Christian guy, not in the least. But he was talking about the power of the mind. And he was talking about how oftentimes we don't open up the realm of possibilities because we can't even imagine that that possibility might be a reality. And while the, there wasn't Christian concepts per se, I, I, I heard them echoing Christian principles that are absolutely true. And that oftentimes the people perish because there is no vision. The people peri- perish where there is no vision. And you, you don't have any vision for your children. You, you think that they are just this child. That's why we have this long extended adolescence, right? And we don't demand that they be men, that they grow up. So we're allowing our 14-year-olds, 15-year-olds, 16, 17, 18-year-olds, we're allowing them to do things that we know aren't right we're allowing them to get away with things that we know aren't right and then we think that somehow there's a light switch going to hit and they're just going to become a man one day and that they're going to do things right well if they don't respect you why do you think they're going to respect your boss and if you don't demand respect from your children and you let them run over you and push you around and demean you and demean your wife then what do you think is going to happen if you've conditioned them to believe that they are so significant and so important and so uh amazing that they can say whatever they want to to the authorities that surround them and get away with it what do you think is going to happen when they've been conditioned for that and then they come to work for a guy like me or they come to work for a guy like keith or a guy like mark or or, you know you just name it what do you think is going to happen i deal with the i'm i am a boss i own a company and, I, and it's mainly men that work for me. I deal with those guys. It doesn't end well. They either convert or they're gone, right? They, they don't know how. And I've dealt with them. And I know almost every time I can point out the ones that they had no father in their life. They had no mother who cared to discipline them or to train them or to lead them. I can see them. I can, I can talk to them for three minutes and know now some of them are moldable and i don't mind taking a guy on and working with them but the lack of commitment the lack of uh passion the lack of dedication the lack of a work ethic i had a bunch more planned out talking about jobs some of you well, i don't know about some of y'all I'll quit saying that i hope not some of y'all but do you know how many children are going to grow up to be deadbeat pieces of you know what Because they were never demanded to do the hard work it takes to be a man. And you don't think you're setting them up for failure, and you're setting our country up for failure. You're setting our community up for failure. Because right now, J.B. Trees needs good men, and I can't find them. Nobody can. Because we've raised a self-entitled bunch of brats. Amen. Amen. okay well this is my last point it really is I want I want this to happen can you go get my other I, I saw them all my boys in here can somebody go get my other two boys or just bring my, all my kids in here Titus go get all the kids yeah Elray too she's gonna be crazy but we'll go with it <laughs> maybe I can formulate a sermon illustration out of her craziness <laughs> Okay, so while he's going to get her, um, I, want to, uh, I want to read John chapter 9, 19, and I want to show you this. Yeah, it was a long day at the well. I hope it's been worth it to you. Has it been worth it to you? Amen. Good. John chapter 19. Now, the last point I have was send them out send them out so all of this goes together right that we how do we effectively uh how do we effectively bring change in our communities in our county in our state in our world in our country in our world well we effectively train up our children to be mighty men and women of God that way they can't be pushed over by the Bidens of the world right goodness gracious Lord help us right so we need to bring these children up so they can be mighty men of god warriors for the kingdom of god right have valor have 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 this love and passion and commitment that is unseen unmatched anywhere we need to raise them up and we need to send them out check out john chapter 19 y'all just sit right here for a minute john chapter 19 listen i'm sorry john chapter 20 verse 19 john chapter 20 verse 19 Now listen to what Jesus says, and remember, the disciples were his spiritual children, okay? The disciples were his spiritual children. It says in chapter 20, verse 19, on the evening of that day, now I want you to take cues from this, okay? You are to be like Christ. Jesus Christ is the greatest parent that's ever existed, though he had no children. He had spiritual children. Watch. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Now this is after the resurrection. He comes and visits them. They knew that he had died. They were locked in the upper room for fear of the Jews because they had not seen him alive. You're down there with them for just a minute. So they were scared to death because they didn't want to die the death that Jesus died. But here he shows up in the room where the doors were locked for fear of the Jews. And he says, peace be with you. When he he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. He gave them an example of his biblical uh, commitment, consistency, strength, and faith. He says to them, peace be with you. Be calm, be calm powerful a peaceful state of mind let it rest on you and i'm going to i'm going to help this come about by showing you my faithfulness and the way that i live out the word of the living god look at my hands look at my side look at the demonstration that i have placed before you and what they saw was a man who was faithful unto death but now stood before them and had overcome. Parents, will you be the demonstration of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ before your children's eyes? Will they be able to look at you when the whole world is saying, God is of no value. God, there is no God. There is no overcoming. This is all a lie. Will they be able to say, you're the liar. I watched it in my daddy. I watched it in my mama. I watched it before my very eyes. You can't convince me. Jesus Christ showed them. But it doesn't stop there. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me. Even so, I am sending you. That Jesus Christ brought peace by his demonstration and by his resurrection. He gave them power and gave them a commission and sent them out into the world. Listen to what he says. And when he had said this, when he had commissioned them, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. He he, uh, spoke peace over them. He commissioned them. He gave them a demonstration. He sent them out, and then he breathed on them and gave them the power to do what he had just called them to do. He equipped them. He gave them the Holy Spirit. And he says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold uh, withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Basically, he's saying, I am instilling in you the authority, the authority to build the kingdom of God. Are you raising self-entitled, self-righteous little brats? Or are you raising... Men and women of God who have been commissioned by you with a demonstration of the righteousness of the Word of God, and they have peace and been instilled with the Gospel and received the power of the Holy Spirit, and they are worthy to be called ambassadors of Christ and carry the authority of the Gospel out into the world to make transformation. Now, Psalm 127. If I could get all my kiddos up here. Come on, guys. <clears throat> now I love my kids. Here y'all get in an order. Andrew? That's not. Yeah, okay. <laughs> all right, check this out. <clears throat> Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame. When he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He will not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gates. Now let me make a connection here and we'll be done. In Matthew, Jesus asks Peter, he says, who do people say that I am? And they say, some say this, some say that, some say this, some say that. And he says, who do you say that I am? He says, you're Christ, son of the living God. And he said, blessed are you, Peter, for, God, for man has not revealed this to you, but God, ha- you, this has been revealed to you uh, uh, by God in heaven. And he says, this right here, this, Peter, I'm going to build my church on this rock, and the gates, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I want you to put those two together. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver full of them, For he will not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gates. You see, here are my arrows. This is a sharp arrow. (laughs) Here's a, a freakishly big arrow for eight years old. This is a passionate arrow who has a bulging vein in his eye because he's so angry sometimes. And this arrow is demanded excellence upon him. And he is a leader of leaders. Why? Because we made him that way. I am so proud of these kids. Now, what I'm praying is that the gospel that I've... And you've helped me. This is a community, right? I pray that the gospel that my wife and I have poured into these will be the foundation that they stand on as they grow into mighty men and women of God. And the gates, when I stand at the enemy, stand at the gates of my enemy... I won't be put to shame. Why? Because these right here will be putting to death the deeds of darkness. That text in Matthew that says the gates of hell will not prevail against it is not a defensive text, it is an offensive text. The gates of hell will not prevail against the attack that the church is bringing against the gates of hell. I won't be ashamed in the gates. Because all of these will be fighting with me side by side, hand in hand, fists flying, darts roaring, and the gospel going forth. That's what we need. That's what we need. Now, I'm an imperfect parent. I'm doing the best that I can. What I'm asking you is that can you say, yes, I'm an imperfect parent, but I'm doing the best that I can to truly pour the Scriptures into my children, to train them in the ways of righteousness, to rebuke them, to ask forgiveness when I need to ask forgiveness, that I am being used by God to bring about and to raise up and to train men and women of God who will have a lasting impact on the kingdom of God. Are you concerned with your legacy? I'll say again, you were, you were created for greatness, Don't squander your legacy. Every minute of every day, you are to be pursuing it. All right, guys, y'all can sit down. I love you. Today, I want to give you an opportunity to do business with God, maybe like you've not done business with God in quite a while. I'm calling you to repentance. Maybe you've been in a place to where you've not... You've not been the parent that you need to be. Maybe you've been in a place where you've not been the man or the woman that you need to be. Maybe you're in a place where you, you know that you've dropped the ball. And you want to repent before the living God. You want to ask forgiveness. And that you want to make a dedication this day to begin to pour into your children like you know you should be pouring into them. Maybe today is a day of rededication of your whole entire existence in your life. Maybe you've been saved before. Maybe you know the Lord. But maybe you've not been living according to the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's all stand to our feet. And as you respond today, I give you the opportunity to come and do business with God. And if anybody desires to rededicate their lives to the Lord and to recommit in any realm, parenting or any other, I give you that opportunity. I know it's late, but I pray that you are blessed by the Word of the living God.